0: Hello and welcome to Story of the Book, where middle grade YA and picture book authors tell the stories of their books from beginning to end. I'm Haley Chuins. I write books about magical girls with secrets. And I'm Lindsay Eager. I write books about growing up in this weird
1: wondrous world. And we're so very happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on Story of the Book, we are so excited to talk to Celia Perez. She is a middle grade author of two books that are out and a third one that's on its way. Her debut came out in 2017. It's called The First Rule of Punk. It's so amazing. It won so many awards and it was on so many best uh, best books of the year lists Totally, totally warranted. It kind of reminded me a lot of Beverly Cleary's work. So if you're interested in in that, you should go pick it up. And today we're going to be talking to her about her book *Strange Birds*, which was her follow up to *The First Rule of Punk*. Um, it's another standalone, and this one is about four girls who make an alternate Girl Scout troop in uh, Florida. And it's absolutely a masterclass in how to balance points of view, because there are four point of view characters. Um, we love talking to Celia about, um, about her process and about sort of um, her tendency to really keep her ideas and her drafts close to her heart until she's ready to share. You might even say she keeps things secret <laughs> until she's ready to share them until um, until they're close to finished. And we also spoke a lot about how Celia doesn't have an MFA and she doesn't have formal writing training and how that sort of has informed her process um, for the better. Absolutely. She is a librarian and so she also is this amazing collector of all sorts of interesting sort of forgotten cultural touchstones and cultural, you know, paperback books from childhood that maybe you might see the cover and go, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, So I hope that you sit back and enjoy this conversation with Celia Perez. Thank you so much for being with us, Celia. We're so excited to talk about Strange Birds. And uh, we would love to hear where this idea came from, where it started, how long you had the idea before you started writing the book. Just tell us where the seed was planted. So um, I, I have found that I, I usually
2: start thinking about the next book once the book that I'm working on is at the point where it's going into copy edits. So where the story is done, um, I tend to work on one story at a time. So I feel like it's hard for me to juggle different storylines. And so um, so Strange Birds, I, I started thinking about when um, when the first rule of punk was pretty much, uh, the story was complete and we were just kind of going into the copy edit phase. And, um, the initial thing that I knew about the book was that I wanted it to be set in South Florida where I grew up. There were a lot of things that I didn't see about my own environment when I was uh, a kid and, um, a pretty hardcore reader. And one of those things was, was setting was location. Uh, I can think of one book that was set in South Florida that I remember, and that's Judy Bloom's um, Starring Sally J. Friedman as herself, which is set in Miami Beach, but I wanted to set one in uh, in a in an area that looked more like the one that I remember from my childhood. Um, Miami is a really it's a really unique place. It's the South, but it's not the South, and um, it's so diverse. And I wanted to kind of try to capture some of that in the story. So I knew before I knew what the story was that I wanted to have a book set in South Florida, and um, It is set in a fictional town, but part of the, one of the locations is based um, uh, partly on the neighborhood that I grew up in, in Miami, um, an area called Alapata. And so I usually have just kind of like bits and pieces of what I want to include in a story, even though I don't know what the story is. So the first thing that I knew was the setting. The other thing I knew was that I wanted it to be a story about a group of kids that forms an alternative scout troop. I'd been reading some articles about this group called the Radical Monarchs uh, that are based out of um, the Oakland area in California. They were originally the Radical Brownies, and the story is that one of the girls wanted to join the Girl Scouts, and her mom decided that, um, you know, in thinking about this, this um, she started thinking about what, you know, what would really make this experience matter for her for her daughter. And so she created this group with a friend called the Radical Brownies, and they were an alternative to the Girl Scouts. And they um, they centered, uh, you know, initially it was for, you know, for her daughter, but for other girls who were um, Latinx or or Black. um, And it centered their experiences as non-white children and uh, was Uh, very much centered on community activism and community involvement in in their specific communities. And so um, I really like that. I always love the idea of people taking traditions and kind of flipping them on their heads and so um, to make them, you know, to make them their own and make them relevant to their own experiences. And so I knew that I wanted that to be part of the story. So it started with those two things. That's what I had at the very beginning. Those were the seeds of what eventually became. Um, strange birds.
1: Oh so at what point did you start to hear or develop the characters because the the book has these four extremely well-developed so distinct characters which is like I want to ask you about that on a craft level in a little bit how you managed to pull that off but when at what point did you start to um, figure out who these girls were as individuals?
2: so the first the first draft of the book had had only two characters. It had the characters of uh, Ophelia, who is the um, the journalist and um, Lane, who is the um, the rich kid who comes to spend the summer with her grandmother and it was originally told from the point of view of Ophelia, so it was first person from Ophelia's point of view uh, and then after I submitted that first draft and had that first conversation with my editor, and um, you know, we were talking about my desire to make this a book about a group of kids who creates a scout troop and it didn't really make sense to just have two two kids (laughs) in a scout troop and so um that's when I started thinking about these other two characters and um so I think Kat was the next one who was developed and she came um out of I can't remember if it was that I'd read something first about the feathers that were being used in hats in the, in like the late 19th, early 20th century. And, and that's where her character came from or, or, you know, what order it came in, but she was the next character. And then, um, and then Astor's character. Um, And I, I think I, I just was trying to um, put these different qualities and maybe different needs into into individual characters. And that's how I was creating each one. It's always kind of hard to remember what <laughs> where, they, where they came from. Um, and then there's always a little bit of me in each one. So maybe there was like, okay, this is the part of me that's gonna be here and here and here. Um, but it needed to be obviously more than two. And so it became this group of four, of four kids and in turning it into a cast of four characters, the book went from being first person from Ophelia's point of view To um, third person, each chapter um, coming from the point of view of one of the four characters, because um, it was no longer with a group. It was no longer this one kid's story. Each one of them, you know, they weren't they weren't supporting characters. They were all sort of equal, and so each one of them had their own arc, and each one of them had their own um, you know desire for this group and need from this group, and so um, so each chapter became you know, a chapter that was told from each character's point
0: of view. Hmm. and what, So the plot must have been really different then when it was just about Ophelia and Lane. Um, if Kat brought in the idea of the feathers, uh, like, was it a completely different story? Oh, that's a good question. It what I'm trying to think now with that first, the first draft. Yeah. I think the
2: first draft, I, I was thinking I wanted, um, I wanted kind of a witchy book, like a book where the kids were into, um, crystals and magic and that kind of thing. And, um, and so I, I that, so that first draft was, that was more kind of the, the angle of it. Um, I'm, I don't know if this. I'm sure this happens to everyone, where you're researching one thing and you come across something else. And so I, yeah. I came across the the articles about, um, you know, birds being hunted and for for their feathers. And and I was just so so fascinated by that piece of history. And in this story, I knew that there was going to be kind of a, a like the the traditional group that exists in this town. That was sort of the the you know, the opposite, the counter to this new new troop. And, um, and so that all sort of kind of built out of that, out of the, I mean, this, mm-hmm. just kind of by accident finding these articles about, you know, about this history and, um, and then that became the focus of the story. Um, I just mm-hmm. thought, I thought it, yeah, I think the first draft, I'm trying to think of the first draft had, the first draft was, I mean, it's all about friendship. The story is a story about friendship in part. And the first yeah. draft was definitely more focused on these two kids and their friendship. Um, but I don't think there was this um, this other thing that that was like the thing that connected them and the thing that they were working toward. And so, in finding these articles about the feathers,
0: that became kind of the center of the of the book. Is that normal for you to do multiple drafts of a story to kind of figure it out? Like each draft has might have like some characters, maybe like something about the world pops up. Um, or like maybe you have the setting down, but you don't know what the plot is and you have to write lots of drafts to figure it out? Or do you do a lot of like planning or how do, what does your drafting process look like? I wish I did a lot of planning. I would love to be a planner.
2: <laughs> same, same, same. <laughs> um, see, Lindsay, I think you have, you've got a system. I feel like I do not. Yeah. I like I don't have a, I don't have a system. I don't outline... Um, like I said, I usually, I start with these, these elements, they could be anything, it could be, it could be an object, it could be, um, you know, it could be a historical fact, it could be anything, but like, I usually start with just these two things, and I know that I want these two things to be in the story, and then the story builds, kind of builds around it, Um, which doesn't always really work, I guess, but sometimes it does, you can, you can make it work, so I do not plan, and yes, I think with I mean, I guess that's the point of drafting, right? I think with each draft, you find something, you discover something new about the story and the characters. Um, you know, that's the really great thing about. I don't work with a with a writing group. Um, it's me and my editor, and and I'm I'm so grateful for to have her and to have you know the the questions that she poses that I feel like sometimes um, sometimes are really obvious, but you're, you know, you're so in, in this story, in the thick of this thing that you, you can't, like, you don't notice them. You can't, you know, they just don't come to you. And so that those questions are a really important part of that, you know, that drafting process and and that discovery process that happens with each draft. And did I answer
1: your question? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did. No, yeah, you great. did. <laughs> uh, um, I wanted to ask what, wait, what did I want to ask? <laughs> Sorry, my brain is like going all over these, I have so many, so many follow-ups and so many things that we could talk about. Oh, about uh, you and your editor, um, working closely with your editor. Are you somebody who gets the draft all the way finished and then sends it to her? Or are you somebody who, like, do you send pitches and go back and forth? What, when do you bring in another person as a sounding board? At what point in the story?
2: So another thing about me is that I'm I'm very like secretive and possessive of my of what I'm working on so it's really hard for me to share which is why I don't have a writing group because it's hard for me to share in that way um and also superstitious I always kind of feel like if I if I put it out before something whatever whatever that feeling is that it's going to disappear something's going it's not going to happen you know so things like that just kind of things that I guess are part of my process (laughs) if you want to call it that so with my editor I do not strange birds I I did pitch so strange birds is the second book in a two book contract and um like I mentioned earlier I work on one book at a time so that story was not even anywhere in you know in my mind when I was working on the first Rule of punk um so uh so typically she doesn't see she doesn't see it until it's a draft. there's a draft and and then she gets to read it and you know gives feedback um, with the book that I'm working on now, that one i um I sold on uh, proposals so I had uh, the proposal and then the first thirty to fifty pages. but again, with that one, she did not see it until there was a draft. Like she didn't see the whole thing until there was a draft. I'm not bouncing ideas off of anyone or asking questions about what they think about this. Or, you know, even my husband doesn't see my books until they're advanced copies. (laughs) So he has like the book that I'm working on now. He has really no idea what the story is at all. And that's just kind of the way I work. I do, I get the draft done and then, and then it goes to my editor and then she says it's garbage or (laughs) whatever she she doesn't say that she's never said it's garbage (laughs) that's my own personal issue
1: (laughs) to interpret it as Uh, she said it's garbage garbage right (laughs) that's amazing and that um that has a lot to do with what Haley and I talk about a lot and we're talking about this morning actually is developing a sense of conviction in your own work uh, apart from what you know other critique partners or even your editor or your agent or your husband or anybody else um you know their thoughts about your work do you feel like do you feel like this this secretive um solitary way that you work at the beginning do you think that comes from that place of conviction and um where do you think that comes from? That's a good, that's a deep
2: question. I, I feel like I want to go with, yes, it comes from a place of conviction. Do, I do. That. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. You know, that's a that's a tough question. I feel like I could kind of ramble in like in exploring what where that comes from and what that means for me. Um, you know, I think, honestly, I think I still, I struggle with like, even still calling myself a writer, which I think is, you know, when I think about it, it's like, it's weird and it doesn't make sense, but it's it's there. It's something that is always kind of nagging at me. And I'm not sure what like it would take for me to finally, you know, say, I'm a writer. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I think there's, I think those things are tied together. I think there's some, you know, there's some relationship there. And I think it is like, like I said, I think there is a level of, of just like a superstition of like feeling like mm. I cannot give voice to this. I cannot make this concrete until something inside me says it's, it's ready. Like it, it is. And, mm. um, and there, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if I could put words to when that is or what that means, but I think it's some of that too.
0: Hmm. Well, I think that's wonderful because there's something about being a writer where you have to kind of believe in your own work long before anyone believes in it. And it's so important for you to kind of love your own, the own, like the stories that you're writing mm. before anyone else gets to love them. So yeah, I think I, I relate to that a lot, like wanting to keep things secret and wanting to like get to a point where you're like, I really this like this draft feels like it can stand on its own two legs before I send it to someone else because there's also something like so kind of delicate about a story idea in the beginning you don't really maybe you don't know. You don't always know like is it going to go the distance? Am I going to be able to write? At least that's how I feel. And it feels like this tiny little bud or like this tiny little plant. And like you don't want to expose it to every to to other people yet because you want to see if it can grow on its own first.
2: Yeah, I like that. I think that, I, that definitely makes sense to me. Um there's there's definitely that feeling of uh not wanting to <clears throat> to to say you know you know like sometimes on social media I see I see authors who are like through the entire process of a book they're just like posting and posting and posting (laughs) and and on the one hand I I kind of wish like gosh I wish I I was that person you could just say you know I'm drafting I'm writing I'm revising (laughs) um but it but it just feels like I I feel like I'm I'm just like rolling the dice like I'm putting this stuff and out in the universe and then like at any moment, someone could just yank it away. Like it could just disappear. Mm. And, and, uh, and like I said, I don't, you know, it doesn't make sense in, in my, like, for me, it does, um, you know, for other people, mm. it doesn't. And that's, that's fine, too. But I do like, um, Haley, what you said, that idea, of, you know, you have this, this thing, and you want to kind of care for it and see it grow before you feel like, okay, this is ready now for others to, to be, to, to, know, take a
0: look at yeah I'm always amazed by people who share snippets of their draft as they're writing it's one thing to say like I'm drafting I wrote 5,000 words today but people who actually screenshot snippets oh, of their yeah. <laughs> writing and put it on Twitter I'm like that is so brave yeah. and yeah I don't think I could ever do that because I also like I write so many different versions of one story so if I post a snippet of something from two years ago it will be unrecognizable
2: that's the other thing
0: I was just thinking when
2: you were when you were saying when you when you were just talking was that um because you know you never well I guess for for anyone you never know if that first draft is going to even resemble in any way what the final product is so I just sort of feel like you know no sense in putting this out there if it may or you know it may not be what what this story becomes. And I guess in, in even yeah. just in showing that there I mean there's some there's there's something to showing that to showing that there that there is this process that um you know there's a reason we have, you know, shitty first drafts, right? And then yeah but, you know there's a reason you go through that process of drafting. Um, and it could mean that the first the first story that you come up with doesn't end up being the published story. But um but
0: it's not for me. I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> that you know that that, yeah. that is not for me yeah I think that's so valid like everyone has to decide yeah how much they want to share as they're going and how much they don't want to share and I I do think like writing is particularly interesting because it seems like probably the most private of the art forms because if you're choreographing a dance or if you're painting a painting there's something like inherently kind of public about that whereas if you're writing it does kind of feel like yeah it's it's it feels almost like You know, like it starts with journaling or writing in a notebook when you're a kid. And it it does feel like this private thing between you and the words or you and the story.
1: I wonder too about if it's a trend that's going to continue, you know, we're in the digital age, everybody has access to everybody or (laughs) would love to have access to everybody. And this whole idea of being able to pull the curtain back and see how writers work And writers Mm -hmm. are volunteering all of this information about their process. You know, historically, we don't, we haven't really seen what it's like for writers until after they die and their journals are published or their letters Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. So it's, it's interesting that you can know everything about a book and how it was created before it even comes out and before you even Mm -hmm. can read it. Like, I don't know if it's a good thing necessarily, I, have mixed I know feelings about it.
2: I, I, I agree. Yeah. I have mixed feelings too. Cause on the, on the one hand, I, I feel like, um, when I see other writers processes, it is, it is kind of helpful sometimes it's, you know, it's nice to see what that other writers go through the same thing that I go through. Um, and it's nice to see that. And it's nice for, for other people to see that it is a lot of work that it's, it's a mm-hmm. lot of work. It's hard work. It's not something that happens, Overnight, it's not like when I do school visits, I tell the kids, you know, I do show them photos of my. This is what my revision process looks like. It's not. It's not magic. It's not some like there's not some magical place (laughs) where books are made, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it is also nice to kind of keep some of that under wraps, right? And and, yeah, and make books feel magical in in that sense. I don't know. So So I feel, you know, I do feel kind of conflicted about it too.
0: Yeah, I guess it's up to each writer to kind of decide how to navigate that because I think people get, um, they get fuel in different ways and they, some things will feed certain writers. Like they like the feeling of sharing things and getting this like immediate feedback. And then other people like you Celia, like want to keep, like you're fueled by the keeping it a secret and keeping it to yourself for a little bit. So I wanted to ask you about
1: other influences on your work and on Strange Birds in particular and then we can talk a little about you know drafting and going into revision but there's so much on your instagram about cultural influences there's so much in your first book the first rule of punk it's like things that, um, a reader would be able to like make a list of things to go look up and listen to and read and, and track down Mm -hmm. and strange birds made me think of babysitters club and, you know, just like all of these cultural touchstones and influences. And I wondered if you could talk about some of those on, on your work in general, but, um, strange birds in particular, what would be up in this book's locker?
2: I really love that. I love that Lindsay because I think that's kind of what, um, maybe unintentionally what subconsciously I'm going for, or like what is going on in my, in my head. Um, because I do always start with a, with an image board. So I typically start, um, I have one for each of the books that I've worked on and, um, and it's, you know, it's just a collection of images on Pinterest of things that, um, either are going to be a part of the story or that um, just kind of captured like the mood. I think I'm always trying to capture a mood. Um, that was the other thing with Strange Birds, with um, with t- having it set in Florida and having it set in the summer. I I had this like very, very like visceral, like memory of um, of being a kid in the in, in summertime in South Florida and just like the Impressive humidity and that feeling of boredom where you feel like you're suffocating like it's just so hot and you're bored and there's nothing going on and you know you're 12 years old or 10 years old um and I and I felt like those were some of the that was like feeling that I was trying to capture um and it's always kind of hard to talk, talk like to when I talk to kids during school visits when I try to when I show them these image boards and I try to kind of Um, get across what I'm trying to do. I'm like, I'm trying to capture this feeling. Like, I want you to like be in this picture. Right. Um, But I do, I do, uh, I'm a librarian. So it's my nature to, to just kind of fall down these rabbit holes of, you know, researching things. And so um, I do kind of grab a lot from just like my own childhood memories and just all of the things that I, you know, come across that i in books or in, on the internet that just like fascinates me. Like I'm just like really curious and interested in all these little things and I want them. Like if I can fit them all (laughs) into one story, I will, I'll do that. Um, So for strange birds, one of the, like one of the, since you mentioned cultural kind of touchstones, one of the things that, um, that I, we, my editor and I had talked about was these all these eighties movies um, you know, that we'd watched as kids and, how a lot of times when there were groups of kids having adventures, it was mostly boys. And the one that I kept going back to was Stand By Me. And so um, one of that was one of the, the things that I had in mind when I was writing this book was that movie, which is also set like on the last day of summer. And, um, you know, these kids are off looking for uh, you know, this dead body. and um, And it's about the dead body, but it's also about them and how they're growing and how these like very different personalities, you know, find a way to kind of be together to do this thing. Um but I think I've kind of trailed off what the question was. Oh, that was great. That was simple. So when I was writing Strange Birds, I did have I have had this list. Um if I'd known this would come up, I would have had it with me. But I had this really long list of like every time I would research something new that would end up in the book. Um or even if it didn't, I would write it down. So I had like everything like um Um, I was researching, like, bandanas and how people wear them for different reasons. Um, I was researching, like, the history of Keyline Pie. I was researching, you know, Morse code. I was researching um, just, like, all kinds of, like, things that if you look at the list seem really random, but they were all part of this um in some way part of this story and um and that for me is like one of my i th- i think it's what i love so much about about getting to do what i get to do in writing books for kids kids is um the stuff that i get to like to learn and to expose kids to and you know and hopefully those things will take them down you know all kinds of paths you know to other interests yeah
1: yeah well and i love you also post a lot of like forgotten, weird, one-off, like, teen <laughs> books or, like, B-movie type, <laughs> like, pulpy paperbacks with weird covers. And all of, do you just, you just have this, you have an eye for it or a nose for it or what, but, like, these things seem to just come into your life <laughs> in the most amazing way. And then you you share a, about them on Instagram sometimes, and it's it's so wonderful to just see And remember like, oh yeah, like I had my own weird collection of (laughs) random paperbacks that no one read, no one had ever heard of that probably just had like one print run at some random publisher (laughs) that some writer wrote and forgot about, you know, or whatever. And and you just have, you just do such a good job of collecting all those things. And that just remind me so much of childhood and, and weaving them into a, a whole book, a whole story. So I love it. I love, oh. I love seeing like what knickknacks and what things you find. It's a lot like how my daughter is too. So.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. I, I mean, I do. I, it's like, you just call my stuff weird, but I love it
1: in, in the best way, in the best way. I know. I know.
2: I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And, and I think part of that, like where the stuff comes from again is, you know, one of the things that I always talk to kids about, it's like just paying attention, like keeping your eyes open and like being aware of all the, um, all the stuff all the interesting things that are like right in front of you that we you know a lot of times just don't notice like that milk bottle I found the other day yes
1: <laughs> it's amazing
0: I'm signed to regret not being on Instagram now yeah.
1: I'll, send you, I'll send you I'm missing shots. out
0: I'll send you some
1: shots <laughs> Celia always has the best stuff that she that's has. not a terrible thing Haley <laughs> yeah, I know. Just stay away. <laughs> Um, Well, I wanted to ask you, that reminds me of something else that we can talk about, and we can talk about this as it relates to drafting, or as it relates to revision, or maybe it's a little of both, which is Strange Birds does such a good job of taking some things that might be like issues, capital I, like issues, and presenting them in a story, and yet you never lose the actual heartbeat of the story and the characters. And I'm thinking specifically about some of the discussions about race, some of the discussions about Mm. the different sort of groups in this town. I'm talking about the, obviously the whole, the whole like activism storyline the with the birds and the hat and the feathers. Um, And there was also a particular, the way that you expressed like intersectionality in this book made it made it understandable and digestible and like so easy for my sweet 10 year old white daughter to understand in a way that maybe she wouldn't have if it had been given to her in like a pamphlet or something. And so I wondered like, could you talk about craft wise, like what it takes for you as a writer or for anyone as a writer um, to balance out sort of the bigger themes of like what you're trying to say versus like the story and the characters, without it feeling like a pamphlet.
2: That's a that's a good question, and that's kind of tough. I mean, I think I think part of it is that I don't write with the idea that I'm trying to say something, um, and maybe that is what what makes it read the way that you so um, you know, so nicely describe the, so, what it reads like. Um, I really I really don't. I don't write a book, I don't write a story thinking this there's going to be a lesson here. This is then, this is the lesson that I'm going to teach. Um, I try, I really try not to. Um, so I like to think that a lot of, um, you know, those storylines come up organically. Like here's this character and this is who this character is. And this is what she's into and what she's interested in what, she, what you know what is going to be her story. Um, so the characters, I think the car- because the characters come first and I kind of have a sense of who this person is going to be, then it just kind of naturally, you know, flows that this character story will be about this, um, as opposed to like coming in with a lesson and then building everything around that. Um, at least that's what I try, to, you know, that's what I try to do, um, and when people ask like, what do you want readers to get out of your story? Um, I get that, you know, I get because we write for kids. I get that everyone, you know, a lot of people feel like um, if it's a book for kids, it's gotta have some kind of lesson. <laughs> but it's, that's not my, um, you know, I just wanna try to write the, the best story I can write, like something that's going to engage readers um, first. And then if they get a lesson, a life lesson out of it. Cool. (laughs) Um, but I don't write to teach life lessons (laughs) because y'all don't want life lessons for me. (laughs) But I think, I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. I think maybe that's, that's the key, at least for me, you know, for other writers, it it may be, it may come from a different place, but, um, and I, and I also think that I, when I write, even though I write for kids, I. like when I talk to kids, I talk to kids like it's, you know, here's this other person. <laughs> it's not, you know, I'm not going to speak to them in the way that I would, you know, a 40 year old, but um, I'm not, I try not to talk down to them. And I think when I write, I feel that I try not to write down to, you know, to kids. And so
0: mm,
1: turns out kids are people, <laughs> Isn't <that> weird. oh. No. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've always been baffled by that, but I mean, on in one way, like I understand it, like you said, like it makes sense why middle grade authors are asked that question of like, what, what do you want kids to take away from it? What do you want them to, or what do you, are you trying to get some kind of lesson? Um, but it's just strange, because, yeah, I mean, we write for the same reasons that people who write books for adults, write. like we write to tell a good story. And I think, fundamentally if you write for a middle grade audience you have a kind of deep uh, respect for being 12 like the whole experience of being 10 or 11 or 12 and you remember it vividly and it feels really kind of close to you and yeah I just it is really it is really interesting that that often gets brought up I always like to say to people like I Yeah, I um, I'm more interested in like experiences. I'm I'm interested in evoking something in a story more than being like this is how you have to deal with this or this is like yeah this life lesson in the story and yeah and the character. I I it makes sense to me that the characters for you like are so uh, such an important part of everything because they're so vivid in Strange Birds. I just fell in love with all of them. I loved how they're all so different, but also that they all have these connection points and they they are similar in many ways like they're all so passionate and um they all have yeah they all feel so strongly about things but they feel strongly about different things and they see things differently and I wanted to ask you in terms of the drafting like how did the drafting of the different points of view happen did you have did you ever have a point where like one I know you started with Ophelia and Lane and did you have kind of one was more dominant and how did you decide like? I guess, who tells which part of of the story and yeah. How did the drafting of the points of view kind of happen and develop? So one of the things that um,
2: after, after I had uh, a draft with the four characters, one of the things that was, that was really helpful that my editor did was she, um, when she sent the next round of notes, she, uh, she created a document just with each chap. So she just had each chapter and then whose point of view Um, that chapter was from as a way to kind of see where the imbalances were, you know, who, who, who had more, you know, airtime book time, (laughs) and who didn't have enough. And so that that was really helpful in, um, in, for me to see in order to kind of help balance out the voices, because I did want to, keep, you know, make it hopefully pretty balanced among the four characters. um I'm sorry what was the other question <laughs> sorry
0: Hayley. um I've forgotten um <laughs> well I think I just wanted to hear about the, the general kind of I guess and I'm asking this kind of for selfish reasons because I tend to write books that are just one point of view because mm-hmm. it just feels I mean it is so much easier to write a book that's just one point of view like you know where you are all the time so I guess when you're drafting like did you have did you just do it intuitively like you you've written chapter three, you're gonna go on to chapter four, and you're thinking, okay, it's gonna be Asta talking now. Like was it like kind of an intuitive thing or did you kind of map it out or yeah. Just Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um yeah. So it was only mapped out in the sense of, you know, my editor gave me that list. Here's here's all the chapters and here's who's talking at this point. Um and then um I I tend to I usually write in a linear fashion. So I'm not jumping around like from the end to the middle. Um so I, I was just writing. And then once I had a draft done and I could see, you know, who was, who was speaking where, which chapter was from which point of view, then, um, I would, I would go back and if like somebody had too much time and someone had not enough, then I would kind of reconfigure, um, the, the chapters in order to tell it from somebody else's point of view. Um, without I mean the story like the, there's the linear story and um and then so I would just go in and say, okay if Ophelia has too much time on the page, then um, this chapter is going to be from Astor's point of view and just kind of tweak it so that the story continues, but it's told from like from her point of view um, and I think i mean it it's it's definitely challenging. <laughs> it was definitely challenging uh I think um i i really I really feel uh I, I have a, I have a lot of love for this book just because it was so hard to write to write from different points of view and to try to keep, maintain that balance. Um, having a visual was super helpful. Like to me, I really do like to be able, I would also kind of spread out the chapters and guided, kind of try to get a visual of how much time each character was getting in that way. Um, so that to me is always helpful. Um, but yeah, it it just... Uh, you know having having just like that outline of chapters and just kind of trying to keep the story flowing but giving each one you know their their page time um, I think just from draft to draft sort of worked out <laughs> yeah it's it's hard to yeah I mean it's it, it's one of those things that like you have to be in it to to figure out you like to be able to figure it out it's kind of hard to explain how how you would you know how else you would do that <laughs> sorry
1: Well, oh, that's great that's great the, um is that would you say that was one of the main focuses of revision then and is that is that the kind of things that you usually do while you're revising like how was revising this book different from revising your first book hmm.
2: yeah it was that was definitely one of the big parts of of revision was getting um getting each character to have, you know, kind of an equal voice in the story. Um, This one was different because, so with, with The First Rule of Punk, when that book was acquired, uh, it had already gone through, you know, a lot of revision um, with my agent. So we had already been revising for, for a while. And so by the time my editor got it, um, you know, we still had another year of work on it before it, it was published. But, at that point, it was, the story was pretty much the story, the characters, I think all of the characters, maybe one was killed off <laughs> when my editor <laughs> got the book. Um, but otherwise, uh, I think the revision process, other than being new to that process, it, it, that, I mean, that was, you know, it, its own deal, but the revision process in general was less intense than like with um, Strange Birds, which was coming to my editor from- you know, nothing from an idea, um, and so revision was starting from the very beginning, um, so I think, I think with Strange Birds, I definitely got to get a better view of what, what that process is like, what it is to revise something from, you know, from, like, the very beginning to, um, to the point where it is a book, um, and for me, revision, like I said, is really, it's, it's very, um, have to see it I have to so I print everything out and I lay out all my chapters and kind of cut you know with scissors and tape things around move things around I always think of it as like one of those little you know the little puzzles with the numbers and there's one empty space and you have to try to get the numbers in order like that like I'm kind of moving the, <laughs> things around until they're they're in you know the spot that they should be in um but yeah, revising this book and having these four characters was definitely um, challenging, and trying to keep their voices different and make sure that they didn't all sound like the same person, which you know I hope I was able to do. <laughs> I think they're all really, I think, I mean, I think they're pretty distinct characters, but um,
0: they definitely are. They for yeah.
2: sure are. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and I guess that's when where a writing group might be come in handy <laughs> to have other people <laughs> read that and you know be able to tell you like these characters all sound alike or this
0: person's not getting enough page time but so can I ask out of interest how many drafts do you think you did of strange birds in total um strange birds I think was about eight
2: maybe okay yeah that's a lot so it was like maybe seven or eight yeah um which I always think is not a lot because sometimes I hear people like oh I'm wrote 20 drafts of this book which to me is like I cannot imagine what that is like (laughs) um but yeah I think it was about it was about eight and that's that's you know the very first one where there were only the two characters and um uh and that was a tough one because it was like two characters and I had like maybe a hundred pages and you know I don't know about you but like you write that first draft and you're like this is pretty good I think this is like the one (laughs) i um, love it they're gonna just send it right to coffee i know. i'm gonna be turning <laughs> in like a hundred page draft the first draft thinking like i'm good you know there's a little part of you that's like i'm good to go here um and then getting you know notes back and realizing that like oh i need to create two more characters and they need to have their own arts <laughs> um yeah this so- is half
1: a book i wrote Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> Uh, how many pages is it
1: well,
2: how many more pages do I need to write? I think it in terms of numbers, but um, yeah, so so it, it went through it went through a good number of drafts.
1: When did the uh, the feathers come in around what draft would you say? It was pretty
2: early it was pretty early. It was either the second or the third draft um, once because Ophelia, I mean uh, Kat, cat who is the bird lover uh, came, came in on the second draft and um so it might have been might have been on the second draft
1: that I she brought that with her
2: yeah yeah that she brought (laughs) her feathered hat with
1: her (laughs) dragged it in (laughs) nice of her
0: I love that though that's like part of the magic of writing for me is that this character kind of pops up and she's talking about feathers and then suddenly that becomes like I mean that is like the plot of the book it's a huge thing in the book um so it's just so interesting how that can happen like it's something that you read that you were interested in and suddenly this character's talking about it or this hat pops up or someone's like oh this person walked through the door and then everything changes it's so cool yeah
2: it's definitely um there's this there's this thing about like having to to be able to see these connections like visualize these connections where they don't exist um which is what happened with the, with this kid. With I mean, she might have just been like part of this group, and then this group had this hat, and then from there that you know that just kind of became the central part of the story. But um, yeah, but just kind of being aware, being being you know attuned to these how these little things can really you know change like change a story.
1: Mm. So how do you feel about revising versus drafting? which one is is there one that's like your happy place and one that isn't <laughs> <laughs> or is it whatever one you're not working is on is your less less uh <laughs> less unhappy place so. yeah yeah yeah
2: <laughs> um i you know i like i do like revising i i enjoy revising um and i think that's probably i think it's like when i hear other other authors i think that's the case for a lot of us it's like it's a love hate thing you know it's it's where it's where the where the real work happens because um, mm. that first draft is just like you know whatever you're pulling out of your you know <laughs> and then and then like whipping that into shape that's where where the real work happens but I do I do like revising um, I'm so I'm revising now and you know, it's one of those things that like one day, like the day before yesterday, I was re- reading revising, and revising, like, I really like it. This is good. And then the next day, you're like, oh, this is crap. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that. But um drafting for me, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I, think I like revising better. Because I know that like drafting, it's I'm just kind of writing and hoping to have something that resembles a story. But I know that that's not where like, that's not going to be where, even though for Strange Birds, I thought that first draft was going to be the (laughs) book. I was like, this is good. No. (laughs) Um, I know that, that drafting is where, like, where the real magic happens. And so, yeah. So I think I prefer, I I like draft, uh, not drafting, revising is where the magic happens.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned that you like to get tactile with your revisions and cut and paste and rearrange what do you think that does to your brain Mm. to be able to take something well and I was thinking too Haley you were saying earlier that writing is something that is so secretive because so much of it is not public facing it's not Mm. really uh it's words and it's in your computer and it's in your head but moving things around on paper and glue and tape and all of that is like a way of turning it into something that's more tangible so what do you think that does for you personally um, as you're revising like what is the benefit of that for you so i I do the same thing i'm very much like i need to print it out i need to be able to touch it and hold it and yeah i i don't like when it just lives in the computer
2: right I think part of it is a visual thing. It's, it's, um, I, I like to see, um, I guess the big picture, so to speak. You know, I like to, I like to be able to see everything in one place. Um, you know versus like on a computer where you're only looking at one maybe two pages at a time and if you wanted to see what happened in chapter 30 you'd have to kind of maneuver your way to chapter 30 and either have split screens or I don't know whatever people used to be able to okay I it's not me I'm using Microsoft Word and like paper printed on my that's on my floor um so I think it's a visual thing just being able to see everything um but also um I don't know, maybe it's part of like my zine making. Like it goes back to my zine making because zine making, you know, for me was always, I always made zines by hand. I didn't make zines. Um, So publishing for me, writing and publishing was always, you know, very tactile. I was either handwriting a zine and then cutting images and gluing them onto paper and folding paper and then putting it in a photocopier. And um, so I think it it kind of, maybe takes me back to that like that place where um we're writing and publishing like where there wasn't this pressure to you know to make this perfect thing and and I could just you know work with what I had and and make you know put together this the zine I don't know I think maybe there's some connection there with that with that process because it's very similar it definitely you know I'm using the same tools you know I'm not on my computer I'm using a glue stick and scissors and paper in the way that I did with zine making um, and it takes me back to like um, not that not that I don't have control of my writing but a time where like when you're making zines you have total control of what you're what you're
1: working on oh that makes sense that's what I thought of yeah. when, you, when you mentioned cutting and pasting I thought oh like zines I see yeah. a zine.
0: <laughs> well that leads us really nicely to the kind of publication part of how this book became a book and you mentioned pressure and I one of the questions that I jotted down was actually a, kind of about that like about this being your second book your first book was immensely successful um did you feel pressure and yeah, can you talk to us about a little bit about like, yeah, this kind of second book thing, but then also just the, the kind of road from like this, the strange birds becoming a book, a real book published. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: as I mentioned earlier, it it was the, when I um, sold the first rule of punk um, it was a two book contract. So uh, strange birds became the second book um, and part of that as part of that deal. And, uh, it was, it, 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 I mean, there, there definitely, so there, there was the pressure number one of producing a second book (laughs) because when I, you know, when I sold the first rule of punk, I had the first rule of punk and I didn't have like a drawer full of books that I had written in the past, um, that were waiting to be published. And so I, you know, I had the pressure of, um, Having to do this again and not knowing if I could do this again, I—I uh, I had not. The first Rule of Punk* was the first book I'd ever written, like the first entire book I'd ever written. So, um, so there was definitely that question of, you know, was this a one-time thing, and can I do it again? And um, and then, you know, with a contract, I had to do it again. I mean, not that I had to, but I had to do it again. <laughs> Um, so there was that pressure Um, and then and then yeah the the fact that the first rule of punk was so well received um, which to me you know is still always really surprising that you know um, years later people are still you know classes are still reading it and kids are still reading it and I still get mail about it and um, and you know there's always that 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 feeling of um, wanting that to happen again right you know you want all of, all of your books, everything that you create to, to have the same experience that, you know, whichever one does the best to have that again. Um, so there was definitely, um, definitely that pressure. Um, and there, are, you know, of course things that you just like, you can't control and having to, to, to be okay with that and knowing that, you know, this, this other book was its own story and, um, it couldn't, it's not going to be that book and it people expect them to be the same you know they're going to be (laughs) disappointed and that's okay (laughs) um so uh so yeah I mean there's definitely definitely that that kind of pressure um and then also wanting to write you know wanting to write something that uh that was you know that that was that was true to me that was not like coming from this place of pressure this place of like okay here's this book that did really well now we want the first rule the second rule of punk or you know like feeling like I had to fall like kind of follow this this uh this pattern of you know producing the same kind of book um and just wanting to to write a story that I you know that I loved and that I felt good about and regardless of how it did once it was published that I would be happy with so yeah, I mean, and I think that just, you know, published multiple books. I know that you you, you know what, that, what that's like, you know, there's always, I'm sure no matter how many books you publish, there's always kind of that little like leftover pressure of feeling like, it's gotta do this and it's gotta be this and people are expecting this um, instead of just trying to write and kind of silence all of that noise.
0: Yeah, Lindsay and I've talked a lot about like the idea of a brand as an author and how that's kind of a sometimes an uncomfortable thing to navigate. like Because you are in a way expected to produce a similar book that is different enough, but not too different. Um, and sometimes it just comes naturally to people because they just want to write really like one type of book and they have lots of different ideas in that arena. And then other times, like I know for you, Lindsay, you want to write everything, and you your books are so different. Um, they definitely have like similarities, but they are quite different. And yeah, so I just think that the business of being an author, there's like the writing side, the craft side, the 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 private secretive thing that happens between you and your work, and then there's like the rest of it. And sometimes it's really hard to to navigate. Celia, your books, I'm
1: I'm so glad that you brought up the the idea of following the f- the first book with something that's similar similar enough that hopefully you can repeat the same thing but also different mm-hmm. enough that it could even be bigger or whatever and whatever those expectations are just because i feel like your both of your first two books are such great examples of i feel like an author doing exactly what I always hope to do and what I think a lot of authors hope to do, which is you know that it's a Cilia book, like you just know, Mm -hmm. but it's not a repeat of the first book, which makes me super excited to see what your third book is going to be, because I just (laughs) can only imagine that it's going to be another book where you're just like, oh yeah, yep, this fits right in and yet is its own thing entirely.
2: I like that thanks I, I like that there is a Celia book <laughs> that's sweet. I feel like there is I yeah, feel like no but I, I get that yeah I get I get what you're saying and that's yeah I think that's definitely what I think what, what I don't know I think what most of us are, are wanting is to have a book that um, that feels like if somebody reads it it feels like like us, like they know that yeah. it's, you know, that it that you recognize it as, as, you know, Lindsay's book or Haley's book. Or, yeah. But, um, but that is not like kind of regurgitating the same. Um. And that's tricky, right? I mean, it's, it's kind mm, of, yeah. there's, there's it's it definitely, definitely challenging. Um, but I think um, when I look at, look at my work, I, I try to, to, to find, you know, I don't, I don't think I intentionally do it but I know that there are these threads that connect you know the stories that like you see throughout like I'm sure Lindsay with you you know you feel that with your work too that it could be about you know mermaids or it could be about whatever uh you know drag racing (laughs) but there's always uh mermaids drag racing Have you
1: been reading my drafts
2: (laughs) (laughs) um but there but there are these things that are that are always you know there's like that heart that's always there that that is um, the same for for those stories no matter how different they are and I think yeah. what I just you know what I hope that I can um continue doing and if um and if people dig it cool and if yeah. not well you yeah, know on to hopefully there'll be a
1: fourth book right <laughs> right I do think I think that that exists, whether we are looking for it or not in our work. And also I think I've decided it's not my job at all to look for it or that's the job of like reviewers or Mm -hmm. readers or my writer friends or whatever to, to give me that feedback if I go looking for it, but it's not my job to be my own literary critic of my own work. Because yeah. I just give myself all A's all the time and say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't do well, it. Also,
0: it's tricky, though, because a lot of what makes a book a Lindsay book or a Celia book is like, it happens unconsciously
1: yes it doesn't
0: have you're not choosing to like oh i know i'm going to return to these themes like the same thing with the lesson you're not deciding it's going to be a book about this and then you build the story about that you're just writing and then things rise up from your unconscious mind and like that's part of the magic that's part of the beauty of it um but yeah so it's sometimes interesting to take a step back and be like especially if other people can also like take a step back from it, they have that distance and they can say, oh, I, I noticed that you're always writing about forgiveness. I notice that you're often writing about sisters or about what, you know, whatever it is, um, activism, uh, you know, what it means to be a person who has certain kinds of privileges or doesn't have other kinds of privileges. Um, and that's really interesting, but yeah, it's not, I agree with you, Lindsay. It's not really like your job. Your job is just like be in it, like to go through that portal, to write the story and the other stuff is like yeah it's just extra because if you're looking for it then you find yourself
2: trying to force it in there and it's yes and then it becomes yeah. not it, then it's not something that's like kind of coming naturally from you
0: yeah yeah it doesn't feel authentic or it's not really right. like your voice that it's i'm really fascinated by the idea of like writers developing their voices because i do think this like it kind of just happens from writing like it's you can't really teach it you can't teach someone to have a distinctive voice you just have to write a lot and kind of discover it as you go um and yeah it's like one of those things that you can tell when it's there but you can't necessarily say like this is how you do it you Mm -hmm. know it is like
1: it is like learning how to balance on a bike like you can Mm -hmm. study all you want but until you get on it you can't really learn how to do it yeah, yeah, I
2: was thinking about, um, I don't watch a lot of, um, or read a lot of books about writing. Um, I have read, I guess I've read my fair share and watched, you know, I've listened to like authors talk about writing and, um, I think I'm always looking for, um, I guess something I mean, personally, and maybe this is what we're all doing. We're look, I'm looking for something that will make it easier. <laughs> will yes. like, that will like, tell me how yeah. to do
1: this. <laughs> it's like the cycle of like, when you start to get real desperate and you're yeah. looking for craft books <laughs> and you're like, ah, somewhere yeah. there's, there's the secret.
2: Right. You're like, please yeah. reveal to me the, the secret of this thing. <laughs> you're Googling how to write, how to write a novel. Right. And, and then I have found that every time um, I you know I go like listen to a webinar or whatever they're, they're pretty much all giving the same like everyone gives no matter who it is like I've listened to a master class with like a huge children's author and it's it's always the same um, it's always like the same tips and advice and which is which is cool because I realize i like okay maybe I do know what I'm doing <laughs> yeah but it also, um, you know, it also makes me realize what you just said that you, 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 you can't teach, you can't teach someone to do it. You just, they have to learn, you have to be in it. Like that's the only way that you're going to, to do it and to learn and to like evolve is from being in it over and over again, doing it over and over
1: again. Isn't it a bummer?
0: like you have to write you have to write those eight drops (laughs) no
1: shortcut
0: (laughs) and there's no like
1: higher level learning of it it. like you just yeah like wait a
2: minute I do that
1: too (laughs) it's a bummer it is there's just
0: I guess the thing that comes from experience is just being like okay I'm in that dark place that I'm normally in like three months in or three drops in or you know, I've hit a wall and just to know that, to not give up, like that's, that's the thing, the one thing that's different between like me now and me, you know, 10 years ago is just like, I don't give up on the book when it gets hard.
1: Right. Or, you know, that that doesn't mean that you did something wrong. That means you're doing it right.
0: Figuring it out. Like, oh yeah, yeah, this is the part where I hate it. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is a good sign. This is not, yeah, this, this doesn't mean that it's bad or that I've lost my that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Lindsay, do you have any other questions or should we go on to writing advice, no, writing advice segment? I was going to say, that's the perfect little segue. Celia's segment. just like setting us doing. up
1: perfectly. <laughs> All of this
0: little segues, so and okay.
1: transitions.
0: Cool. Okay. So Celia, I'd like to know what you think about the writing advice to show, well, the idea that you should show and not tell. Oh. <laughs> show show and not tell and you're allowed like to do say, you think oh go ahead Haley. I was gonna say like do you think about that when you're writing is it something that that you kind of use when you're revising or is it yeah just like how do you feel about it yeah I think mean, I think it depends I I definitely don't I
2: I don't know if I'm always thinking about it when I'm writing. I think about it when my editor sends me the letter and it's like, you're you're telling us. (laughs) Um, And then it's like, oh yeah, okay, I I get that. Um, I think it, I I guess it depends. I mean, I think it depends on what you're trying to do and like where, I mean, what you're writing. Um, Sometimes it helps to show um, because you don't want to be beaten over the head with like, explanation of what's going on um and sometimes you just I think you just need to say to tell um yeah I mean I think it depends on on the on the situation on what you're writing you know that's not Mm -hmm. like again like it didn't give you any major revelations about how to how to how to you know write but um I think you also know like when you're when you're in the process of revising and you're reading something, it helps to read out loud and you know when you're reading something if you're if you're telling too much um, mm. and if you need to
0: kind of switch it up to showing writing a novel is like one of the few well like let's say it's so different from say screenwriting where you can only show that mm. is the only tool available to you in a novel you can tell. And so it's a, I guess sometimes maybe the, the kind of temptation is just to tell everything because it feels like easier in a way than to show. But yeah, I, I just think it's so, it's like, it's interesting when people say show, don't tell as if it's like always show and never tell. Mm-hmm. Because of course, sometimes you have to tell, or yeah. you should tell, or it works to tell. Otherwise you'd write a movie. That's what
1: I am. Yeah. That's how I always feel like hold on. Okay. If I if I never
0: told,
1: then I would be writing a screenplay. And I don't I want to write a book, which means yeah. I want to do some telling.
0: Yeah. And yeah. I,
1: I'm glad you mentioned reading it out loud because I do feel like there are some passages and some parts, especially in children's literature, where it does feel kind of telly, but in the best way, in the way that feels like like you're sitting down to hear a story, and it feels very you know once upon a time is very mm. telly, not very showy like it's very it's stylized amazing. and very um makes me think of like really like aural storytelling traditions, campfire mm-hmm. you know type thing um but i I'm glad you brought up reading out loud. is that something that you do with your work so, yeah. um
2: I have been. Uh, I usually yeah more toward the like the later drafts I try to read out loud um, especially dialogue just to see if it sounds like people are actually talking mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I I honestly so I don't have I mean I don't have an MFA I've never taken a writing class and so I I always um I'm coming from that place of like I am just winging it here <laughs> which I think I mean I know a lot of authors are and so a lot of stuff like that like show don't tell and things that I think maybe are like second nature to people who have come out of writing um uh like writing programs I I I feel like I you know I mean not that I've never heard show don't tell but like to me it's it's like maybe I don't know it depends on what I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) like anything like anything that I think you know maybe people have picked up in writing classes that I have not I I just sort of like don't really even give a whole lot of thought to and I may or may not be doing it and I don't like I couldn't you know put into words that I am or I'm not like what I am or I'm not
1: it totally does and it sorry my furnace just kicked on and I'm right by it so if you hear that super loud sound that's what that is um (laughs) like i like that you mentioned how instinctive a lot of these writing advice maybe like even institutional commandments that come down from the mfas and kind of trickle (laughs) into just every you know writer's like tool belt they are very instinctive Mm -hmm. um you know write every day Mm -hmm. maybe not write every day is like the commandment that you do but it's instinctive that if you're gonna work on a project you probably are gonna work on it consistently and show don't tell that's another one that feels very instinctive like yeah if I have the chance to show with description and and um, and visual imagery and and action I'm gonna do that rather than tell when the instinct is there so I think I feel like a lot of this advice is very instinctive but those institutions or writing classes or whatever, they distill them into those easily repeated commandments like show don't tell that you know that then become yeah become um so easily repeated that way yeah Mm. but the writing rules i feel like yeah they all are pretty instinctive and pretty across the board universal
0: Mm. i read your piece about on 88 cups of tea about um not having an MFA and the idea of unschooling. I thought it was so fascinating. I think it's actually in some ways, this is coming from someone who I do have an MA in writing. I think in some ways it's better not to have gone to an MFA program because I think a lot of people get very... It depends on which program you go to and what your particular experience is. But some people come out of it feeling really blocked because all they can hear is like the voice of the critique group and the the voice of the supervisor or the writing rules that they've heard in their heads. And it can kind of take away from that, like, um, your own connection to your writing, your feeling of like I intuitively know what would feel good in the scene, or even if you don't, like I can just write a bad scene and then make it better as I go, I'm gonna write the ten drafts or whatever, and I'm just gonna do what it takes to write the story so yeah, I do I think it's yeah and i I love what you had to say about the idea of asking for permission, like sometimes um you know the idea of getting an mfa is almost getting like a permission slip to write a novel like now that you have this degree you can go off and write a novel um and how ultimately as a writer you have to give you have to write that permission slip for yourself you have to say to yourself i believe in you enough to write this story or i think you could do this or i'm gonna i want to do this i'm gonna just do it i'm gonna just try it and see how it goes
2: yeah yeah i i I think that's pretty, um, spot on Haley. Um, and, and not to say that I don't like sometimes envy people with MFAs because I, I am sometimes like, Oh, I should I, should I go back to an MFA now? Um, just to have some structure to my, cause I feel like that's the one thing that maybe it does help with is that it, mm-hmm. it provides, um, you know, some, some kind of structure. And I think for, for me, like my writing process is very anything but structured. (laughs) It's sort of, you know, it's sort of all over the place. And, um, and it's in those times when I'm kind of struggling that with that, with like trying to rein in all of this, um, you know, what I'm trying to do and and feeling like I don't have any kind of set of rules or parameters or something to kind of guide me that I, I feel like, Oh, maybe that would have been, you know, would be helpful to have um MFA, but um to whip me into shape. <laughs> but, but then I also think that everyone has their own their own, you know, you just everyone has their own process. And that's that's like one of the challenging things when people ask about like how do you, you know, how do you become a writer or how do you you know, there's there isn't like I don't there's no answer. There's, you know, um because it's different for everybody, that experience and that that path is different for everyone. So.
0: Yeah, there are definitely cool things about MFA programs. I think but I think like what you're doing, like your process of writing, it's definitely working, you know. And again, like your books are really successful, well received, you know, and you've had great reviews, you've won awards, like it's amazing. So I I totally get that feeling, but I also think, yeah, like what you're doing, that I don't think getting an MFA is gonna take away from the that feeling of messiness or having to write Lots of of drafts or having to figure things out, um, or like not having structure. Because if that's how you work, and that's how you get to like the end result of this this book that is a Celia book, it probably would maybe I don't know. It might be like frustrating to be in an MFA program and have structure imposed on you. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) If you ever do one, you'll have to let us know how it goes. (laughs) My master class that I. Oh, thanks. I, I also I- went to stage. Where I was watching like all those those master classes, like the Neil Gaiman one, the Margaret Atwood one, and I do. I, it is really like they say the same things. It's yeah. like sit down and write, like, oh, revise. Uh. You know, like it's the <laughs> same it's, stuff.
1: <laughs> but it's amazing how you can be like, oh, thank you. Like I didn't, <laughs> as if you haven't heard it so many times before. It's the funniest really? thing. Sometimes do,
0: you do need to be reminded.
1: Yeah. I'm on the right path. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. yeah.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Story of the Book. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend.
1: Or give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Until next time, stay safe and keep writing. Bye. Bye. <laughs>